So last week, we were in Romans 14, and we were talking about Christian liberty. And I have two iPads up here today because I have two sets of sermon notes, and we'll see if either one of them show up. And I was struggling all week with how to approach our text because we're getting into some hard stuff. We've had 11 chapters of, of focused on the gospel, right? Romans 1 through 11 have been 11 marvelous, marvelous chapters about grace, about mercy, about forgiveness, about justification, amen? We, we've seen so clearly that we were made by God. We are accountable to God. And all of us have failed to live lives that God has called us to. Our motives are wrong. Not only our actions are wrong, but our motives are wrong. And Paul says in Romans 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we have this pivot in Romans 11 where you see God's butt, right? Look, read Romans 3 closely. And it says, but God, and the Bible throughout Scripture, throughout the Old and New Testament, says, but God being merciful, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? And, and what we've seen is, who we were apart from Christ, who we are in Christ and how that happened. We call that the gospel. Amen? And we'll dig into that in Sunday school because you never fully understand and land the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But he goes on and shows us it's not only the power of God for salvation, but for sanctification, for growing in our faith. And as we went through Romans 1 through 11, Paul kept hammering these beautiful doctrines and he's showing us who we are in Christ. And then we get to Romans 11, I'm sorry, Romans 12. And Paul says, in light of who you are in Christ, in light of how you have been saved, in light of the fact that you now have peace with God, in light of the fact that you are now friends of God, God, in light of the fact that you've been adopted by God as children, as heirs. Remember all this stuff in Romans 1 through 11? In light of all of this stuff, now live this way. So many, so many people who profess to be Christian, and listen to this, so many people who are Christian miss the pivot to Romans 12. We think, well, I'm saved by grace through faith. Is that true? Absolutely, amen. Not by works so that no one can boast. I read that somewhere. It's called Ephesians 2. But then in Ephesians 2.10, it tells us why we're saved. To do the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us. What are those good works? In part, Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15. And I have this illustration to start with in this massive girth of a sermon that we'll preach over two weeks. So you're going to get the setup today. Next week, we're going to get into the meat of the context. You're going to get the meat today. So if you missed this week, you're up a creek. If you missed next week, you're up a creek. It's not true at all. If you're in Christ, he saved you from going up the creek. But listen, listen to this, if you would, for me. Imagine a soldier and his commander says to him, do this, do that. And do this. 
And the soldier says to, her command, says to his commander, Sir, I'll do that, but that's risky. That's dangerous and that's costly, so I'm not going to do that or that, but I'll do that. And what's the big deal? I'm a soldier anyway. I'm enlisted. I'm a soldier. And there are a lot of other soldiers who will do what you're telling me to do if I don't do it. So what's the big deal? But I'm going to do that, but not that and not that. What do you think about that? Or how about a husband who says to his wife, honey, we're married. I get it. We're married. I've seen the paper. I went to the ceremony. But I'm not that interested in an exclusive, loyal, committed, covenantal relationship with just you. There are a lot of other ladies out there. There are a lot of other opportunities for me out there. There are a lot of things I'd like to do. We're still married. We're under grace. What's the big deal? Dan asked me that question. No, I'm kidding. Dan did not ask me that question. Kim, he did not ask me that question. Or how about a child and his father? And the father tells the child what to do. And the child says, sits back, says, Pops, come on, man. You out of your mind? You don't know what you're talking about half the time. In fact, you're smothering me. You're cramping my style. Some things you know what you're talking about. I'll do those things. But Pops, listen, you don't know what it's like to be me. And I'm not going to do what you tell me to if you're going to ruin my life. So, so listen, Dad, what's the big deal? I'm your kid anyway. You're my dad anyway. Come on, man. We're small enough. You guys can talk back here. What do you think of that soldier who tells the commander, I ain't doing that? He's in deep trouble. Is he still a soldier? What do you think of the... The husband who says to the wife, honey, I ain't just not that in, I'm not that into you. I'm not interested in a loyal, covenantal, committed relationship with you. We're married, but not that married. How's that going to go? Dead. <laughs> what about the kid who says, hey, pops, why don't you chill out, man? How's that going to work out for the kid? Is he still a kid? Is the husband still a husband? Is a soldier still a soldier? Now, do you remember Romans 1 through 11? I hope we set this up very well over 38 weeks. And I encourage you, keep listening to those sermons, okay? Because we're pivoting in Romans 12 and forward, and I have news for you. And it's so funny, not in a ha-ha way, because as soon as I started prepping this sermon this way, God just kept tripping me up and saying, why don't you look at you? So I look at me, and now you all can look at you too here. We are saved to be soldiers in the armor, army of God. Why do I say that? Remember Romans 13, put on the armor of light. We are saved to be the bride of Christ. Why do I say that? What is the church? The bride of Christ. We are saved to be children of God most high, sons of God most high. And listen to me closely because this is a big consequential deal. It's a big-time wake-up call, and it's a marvelous invitation. We who are soldiers often tell our commanding general, yeah, that's too risky, too costly, I'm not doing that. We who are the bride of Christ often say to Jesus, I'm not that interested in a soul-exclusive, loyal, covenantal relationship with you. And we who are children of the Most High God too often say, yeah, pops, not so much. 
Now, if you land Romans 1 through 11, are you still a soldier in the army of God if you don't obey your commanding general? Yes. If you are a child of God by grace through faith, are you the bride of Christ, not based on how faithful you are to Christ, but how faithful he is to you? Yes. If you are saved by this good news of the gospel, are you a child of God by how well you obey your father? No, you're saved by how well your brother Jesus obeyed the father on your behalf. But if you are saved, Romans 1 through 11, you are saved to bring about obedience. You are saved to be God glorifiers. You are saved to live in submission to God for his will. And here's what happens. Hey, Jay, would you knock that air up a couple degrees for me? Because if I'm cold, y'all must be shivering out there. We live as independent, entitled people. Listen, there's good news. If you, if you hang with me, this picks up. We, we are independent, entitled people by default. Evelyn reminded me this morning that life's not about me, 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 I, I, I. It's about Jesus. And if you're saved... You're born anew so that your focus is able to break off of I, 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 me, 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 my, 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 to Jesus. Amen? And what happens, though, is living in a world that embraces independence and entitlement and living, listen, in a cultural context where the church is so infiltrated by the world and accommodating to the world, Christian people marinate with other people the majority of whom say they're Christian who aren't, who are independent, who are entitled. And we struggle because we become like them. Jesus says, a little yeast leavens a whole lump. But we, in fact, not so much here, but we, in fact, as the American church, invite the leaven in and say, stay like leaven, Jesus loves you. Jesus doesn't love you unconditionally. Jesus loves you contra-conditionally. You can look that up in a dictionary later if you like. What do I mean? It's not come as you are and stay as you are. It's come as you are and be born anew in Christ. Right? The condition is the death of Christ. But what happens then, and I'll go a little further here as we're setting up the text, is in a church that accommodates the world over a couple generations, do you know who leads churches? Lost, entitled people. Me-focused people who lose the gospel who then say to the church, soldiers, if you don't want to obey the general, it's not a big deal. Husband or bride of Christ, if you don't want an exclusive relationship with Christ, it's not that big of a deal. Sons of the Most High God, if you don't want to obey your father, it's not that big a deal, you're under grace. And what Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, is it's a big, stinking deal. And every time you don't want to live as a soldier, live as a bride, live as a son, you need to climb your little bottom back up on that altar. What drives you to the altar? Joy in Christ, your identity in Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see where we're going here? And then we get to Romans 12. And in Romans 12, it's very interesting and easy to miss, especially in our cultural context, the first implication of the gospel. And I didn't focus on this in preaching through Romans 12, interestingly. Maybe I should preach five more sermons off of 12 is that God saves us to live in gospel communities. Do you remember that in Romans 12? I didn't touch that in Romans 12, but, but look here. For by the grace, verse 3, given to me, say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. What does verse 4 say? 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Do you see that? We, we who are saved, Romans 1 through 11, the first hardest part is God says, your life is not shown anymore, it's mine. And you're isolated and entitled and selfish in the flesh, but now you're called to be selfless, God-focused, and other-oriented. Your life is called to prioritize the will of God, loving God, and loving others ahead of yourself. And it's to be carried out, as you'll see in our text today if we ever get there, in the local body exclusively. In Galatians, I think it's 6. Love all people, but do good to all people, but especially to those in the household of God. Why? Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. By this they will know that you are what? My disciples. But, but how many of us think in our lives prioritizing others in the local body before we think about ourselves? I, I, I'm the pastor. I don't do that 100% of the time. You know, when I get 22 emails about how I'm not going to be there Sunday, do you know what my first thought is in the flesh? Come on, man! You know, Randy Moss got that for me. If you guys watch, what is it, Monday Night Football or Sunday? I don't know. They blur together. Monday. It's like, do you know how much hard work I put into a sermon and you're not going to come because of that? You know what what Jesus would say to me? Come on, man. Who are you preaching for? Why are you here? Where's your focus? But see, the, the, the joy of being a believer is that the Holy Spirit will poke you and say to you, come on, man. But the Holy Spirit pokes through the word of God in a community of believers. And at times, I have men in my life who I can speak to and say, and who I do speak to regularly, some of whom sit in this very room, and say, hey, I'm struggling, and here's why I'm struggling. And they love me enough and have credibility enough to say, come on, man, really? Take those eyes off of you and put them back on Christ. We we are saved to a body of believers, and we're called to be committed to the body of believers. And as we function in the body of believers, Paul goes on in Romans 12 and 13. Now, someone's going to say, I don't feel like people care about me or notice me or focus on me. Listen, every single one of you feels that way at one point or another. That's the dirty little secret of living in a church. Amen? I don't feel like anyone notices me. I don't feel like people care about me. I don't feel like people love me. Listen to me. You're right because we don't as we ought to and we should not be okay with that. But God calls us, he doesn't say be loved by one another. What does he say? You love one another. Right? So the focus is here, out. We're saved to gospel communities, Romans 12. We're saved to purity, Romans 12 into 13. Purity in relationships, purity in attire, purity in lifestyle. Remember we looked at that? What we wear, how we relate to other people. Spent five weeks on that. Then we pivoted to Romans, that's on Dorothy, I'm sorry. Then we pivoted to Romans 14. And we got into this concept of Christian liberty. And I do want you guys to engage with me here today. I'll I'll edit the recording if you say anything really dumb. I'll just leave my dumb comments. (laughs) And as we got into 14, we began to deal with Christian liberty. And Christian liberty is our freedom in Christ to exercise non-moral things, right? So we're we're saved by grace through faith. Did, did 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 I point that out today? Did I point out that the little kid song 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Did I, did I point out that's one of the greatest theological truths out there? And did I point out that Jesus loves you so much that while you were a sinner, he died for you so you can trust in him? Did I point out that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, I say whoever, I'll repeat it again, whoever, no matter what, whoever believes in him will be forgiven and have eternal life. They won't perish. With that being said, with us being saved by grace through faith, called to live in a gospel community, called to live in purity, called to live in fellowship, called to live, as the commander tells us, as a bride of Christ and as sons of the Most High God. With all that being said, he says in Romans 14, I want unity in the church and liberty. And liberty is freedom in non-moral things. Right? You remember the list? Should a Christian drink alcohol? I said last week, don't answer those questions out loud. Well, you can do it this week if you want. Should a Christian watch a movie with nudity or profanity? Should a Christian get a tattoo? Should a Christian play the lottery? Should a Christian go to a casino? Should a Christian incorporate Santa into Christmas? That's, that's scarily probably the hot topic issue, but we'll keep moving. Should a Christian identify with a political party? And if so, which one? How should a Christian treat Sunday? Well, let me ask you this question. Last week we pointed out that in Romans 14, 1 through 13, the focus is on landing our own convictions well with a clear conscience and being hard on ourselves and gentle on our brothers in Christ. You guys remember that? So let's say that being said hypothetically, should a Christian have a tattoo? Hmm. I'm not saying can't because we're saved by grace through faith, not by works unless you have a tattoo. That's not in the Bible. I know, I know plenty of saved people that have inked up marks. I know plenty of saved people that have no tattoo, and I have no doubt that they're going to be all uniquely surprised when they get their resurrection body. You ain't going to say kappa sig on the inside of your ankle anymore. But anyway, let me ask you this question. Should a Christian get a tattoo? Now, if I polled the room, I know there's someone in here who's going to say, No. And I know there's someone in here who's going to say, yeah. And I know there are several people in here who have tattoos. So we can make this a really awkward conversation. We saw the Rocky Balboa tattoo. <laughs> Leviticus says, you shall not tattoo your body. Did you know that? Did you know it says that in Leviticus? Every mother should know that verse. But what's the problem with that is a proof text for no tattoo. It's the ceremonial law. We've been freed from the ceremonial law. There is no biblical command under the moral law that you cannot have a tattoo. And I know someone in here just went, thank God, praise Jesus. Because <laughs> that tattoo removal thing's expensive. But I didn't ask, can you? I asked, should you? And I asked, when you got that tattoo, or when you didn't get that tattoo, were you focused on doing it for the glory of God and thinking of how it would affect your brother and sister in Christ? Or did you just get the tattoo? Usually you just got the tattoo, amen? How about how you steward a Sunday? This is honestly in the text. I didn't add this late in the week. Do you have to go to church 
on Sunday, said more accurately, do you have to gather with your church family on Sunday? I said, have to. Do you have to gather with your church family on Sunday? You guys, I want you to come look at what I got going on. It's like, it's a, it's a real question, yes or no? If the answer is yes, about 70% of our church is going to hell. You know, I hope you don't have to go to church to be saved. You, do you have the, the liberty in Christ, the freedom in Christ to miss a Sunday? The answer is no. So you all come back next week. The real answer is yes, but I'm going to say no just for the sake of being scared. No. But the question becomes, should you skip a Sunday? Should you miss a Sunday? And I want to ask this question. As you miss, is your reasoning for missing focused on the glory of God in love with a clear conscience focused on your brother and sister in Christ? Or is it focused on I, me, and my? And here's what we're going to get into. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I'm in verse 13, now 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, by what you are no longer walking in love, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food or a tattoo or an alcoholic beverage or the lottery, or how you steward a Sunday, destroy the work of God. I added those in, by the way. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats, or drinks, or does, or says, or participates in. I added that in. It is good not to eat meat, or drink wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because, he's eat, because his eating is not from faith. For what does not proceed from faith is sin. Amen. There's a lot there to get into, folks. But Christian liberty isn't about can I. But I got to tell you, you got to land the can I as well. If you're going to get a tattoo, get a tattoo based on the clear teaching of Scripture with a clear conscience living in fellowship with one another. Why? It's massively consequential. Your tattoo or your lack of tattoo is far more consequential than you realize. Your drinking alcohol. Can you, let me ask this. Can you drink alcohol in Christ? Y'all, everyone gets so scared by my questions. I'm not a scary guy. Listen, can you drink alcohol? Let me ask it this way. Anyone here saved who drank alcohol? Okay, are you still saved? Did you feel like Jesus said, don't do it? Oh, there's a question. Can a Christian drink alcohol? The answer, listen to me clearly. I may run a whole bunch of people out of this church, but I don't really want to deal with that mess. So anyway, yes, you can drink alcohol. 
You're free to drink alcohol. I can point to many proof texts for you to drink alcohol. Jesus did not turn the water into grape juice. Paul didn't say to Timothy, have a little Pepto-Bismol. And in the Greek, we just... No! Jesus drank with the disciples. Yeah! Real hard stuff, too. They watered it down. It was like hunter proof. You can drink alcohol. Not to excess. That's a moral issue. You can drink alcohol, but only if you're strong enough in conscience to drink. Amen? Amen. If you take that cup and you think, I can't do this for the glory of God because my daddy's an alcoholic, because I was an al- am an alcoholic, because I don't, because it's sin for you at that point, but you're free to drink. But the question is, should you drink? And why do you drink? And I want you to stop and think about it. Why do you drink or don't drink? Is it landed with a clear conscience according to the word? And do you understand the effect it will have on your brother or sister in Christ? 1 Corinthians 8, 7. Got two dudes eating meat. Sacrifice to an idol. One can't take it. He says, Benjamin, you're stinking ham and cheese. Some of you weren't here last week. You know, what are you talking about? Nehemiah, chill out. Let's go to Antony's party. Antony's having a party. Antony's not a Jewish name. Go to the party. Antony's like, yo, what's up, dudes? I got some good meat from the temple of Diana. Just sacrificed this morning, right? Benjamin's like, booyah, I love this meat. And Nehemiah goes, we cannot eat the meat. Sacrifice to an idol, Benjamin. Have it, cheese, and I had meat. I can't believe you. Nehemiah says, so Antony leaves the room. Nehemiah goes, Benjamin, we got to get out of here. We, I can't eat this. We got to get out of here. Zyder meat. Benjamin goes, Nehemiah, good Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the grave. What is wrong with you, my friend? We, we cannot leave. Just shut your face and eat the food. I can't eat the food. I'm sweating now. (laughs) What do you do? If you're Benjamin, what do you do? You're going to have to answer. I'll wait. Do you stay and eat? I'm off it. (laughs) Benjamin can eat it. Strong conscience. Nehemiah can't eat it. Weak conscience. Nehemiah goes, we got to go. Benjamin's like, dude, we got a gospel opportunity. An evangelistic opportunity. Shut your mouth, eat the food, I'll whip you. What do you do? Now, what would you do? If you have to offend someone, and I'll get back into this next week, but let's say a lost person says, hey, why don't you come join me on Sunday? I got tickets to the Eagles game. You want to come? And you got some cat in your church Weak person in church like Pastor John who just can't take one more person skipping a Sunday for a bad reason. What do you do? Who do you offend? You know, it says the answer in 1 Corinthians 8.13. And here's a truth for you in every single situation in life. And brothers and sisters in Christ, understand this well. God's command in Christian liberty. Benjamin's free to eat. Quran's free to go to the Eagles game next week. You didn't get invited to the Eagles game, did you? No, well, Jets only. But the question becomes, should I? 
And here's what you gotta land with a clear conscience. If you're gonna offend someone, offend the lost person, never the brother or sister in Christ. Sound counterintuitive? Look at 8.13. Because when you do, the lost person sees you exercising your liberty in love for the brother or sister in Christ. Our first thing that we need to remember is we are called to exercise our Christian liberty in love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I just got through one point almost. I told you it's a beast of a sermon. Stop and think about that. Can you get a tattoo? We answer this, but Roy, Roy's been asking for months. Can Roy get his tattoo? He's a Christian. He wants to get a, the, the Apollo 11, right? Big 18-inch Apollo 11 emblem right, right across his chest. Sorry, sorry, we're going to move on. Can Roy get that tattoo? He is free in Christ to get that tattoo. He's not breaking a moral law. Should Roy get that tattoo? Who's got to land that? First and foremost, who's got to land that? Roy's got to land that. But as Roy lands that, Roy's got to think about this. How does this tattoo affect my brother and sister in Christ? Can I get this tattoo in love for my brother and sister in Christ? You want to know if I drink alcohol? I get asked this question all the time. It's a strange question. Somebody asked me, do you drink alcohol? I got you all so messed up today. You want to know the answer? I don't. You know why I don't? Because it messes people up. That's the honest to God answer. Am I free? Absolutely. I don't like the taste that much, and I'm so cheap. I'm not spending seven bucks at dinner for something that I'm going to be, you know, only hanging on to for an hour and change. I'll just keep moving. You can catch up to me a bit. But I know too many brothers in Christ who cannot deal with the fact that Christian people can drink alcohol. And it messes them up. It causes them to stumble. And then if they drink because I'm drinking, it causes them to grieve because they've gone against their conscience. And I know real-life situations where a brother in Christ has exercised his Christian liberty without consideration for the weaker brother in Christ who started to drink not only stumbled and grieved, but fell back into a lifestyle of alcoholism, didn't fall back into, fell into a lifestyle of alcoholism because of their entrance into drinking with their Christian peer group, and they were destroyed. And I'll, I'll unpack that word in a minute. So I don't drink. Why don't I drink? It's too high risk. I don't, I don't want to do anything that would cause someone to stumble or be grieved or, or to be destroyed. But let me, let me add this, the context of fellowship here. If we went out for, for a whole church lunch right now, and the waiter or waitress came and said, what would you like to drink? And I'm like, give me a Corona. Anyone here have a problem with alcohol? Would anyone be grieved or would anyone stumble by ordering against their conscience to fit in? Would anyone then be grieved by their conscience going against it? Do, do you, let me ask this. Do you know that question, the answer to that question? Has anyone in here struggled with, don't answer this question, please, in public right now. Has anyone here ever struggled with alcoholic drink? Their freedom to participate or inability to handle it well? Can I point this out? How do you know? You don't audit the table, you live in fellowship with one another. Because I know the answer to that question, and I can tell you this. If this group went out to drink, we shouldn't order alcohol because you would offend somebody. And I know that because I live in fellowship with people in our church. And as we live in fellowship with one another, we know who's strong in one area, who's weak in another area. And Romans 4, 1 through 13 says, defer to the weak. Not, and weak doesn't mean immature. 
Weak means strength of conviction of conscience. Do you see that? Because it says here that you can cause him to stumble. What What does stumble mean? I have a note that'll help. Stumble means a a temporary fall, momentary fall. Someone like, everybody at the table's ordering drinks, and I I don't want to drink, I don't drink, but they're going to look at me crazy, they're going to think I'm weak, and the waitress says, what do you want? Yeah, yeah, give me me the corona. I just stumbled. If I'm weak of conscience, and I've done that going against my conscience, I've sinned, 1423, I've stumbled. And then I go back to work after lunch, and I'm going, dang, why, why? Why am I so weak? Why did I go against my conscience? Or even worse, I go, you know what? That stuff tasted good. And I go back at 4 o'clock for the cheap round. And now now my conscience is getting seared here because I'm not responsive to my conscience. And my brother calls me to do this. And and before you know it, I'm destroyed. You see that word in there, destroyed? It says it, right? What does that mean? Well, that means that if you're saved and you abuse your Christian liberty, you lose your salvation. Good, I like how a lot of you looked up real quick. I like how a lot of you had your face in your Bible and looked up real quick. You could have yelled, heresy, pastor, heresy. Can you lose your salvation? Paul's pretty clear about that, right? You remember Romans 8? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Can breach of conscience? Abuse of Christian liberty? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing in all of creation can separate us who are in Christ from Christ Jesus. Destroyed is the Greek word apolemi. You heard something like that, right? Some of you all read those uh, left behind books, Apollyon, Apocalypse, same same type of word playing here. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not apolemi, but have eternal life. So apolemi means to perish eternally in one context. In another context of scripture, it means death in general. If y'all are feeling theologically, you know, passionate today, look up James 1.11, Hebrews 1.11, or 1 Peter 1.7. Same usage. It means to just die in general. It's speaking of like wheat in one instance. But there's a third usage. You'll see it in Matthew 18.10 through 14, which is with the parable of the lost sheep. And someone's going to read that and come with a whole bunch of questions on Thursday about how I pull that application out of Matthew 18. It's not that hard, but 2 John 8 is easier to see. It means spiritual loss or disaster. Spiritual loss or disaster. And here's what it's saying. You have a a liberty in Christ to get a tattoo, to get a drink, to skip a Sunday, to, to watch movies with nudity and nudity and profanity, to do a whole bunch of stuff. This is Christian liberty. You need to land your liberty with a clear conscience. You need to land your liberty according to clear biblical teaching, first and foremost, making sure it's not a moral issue, right? But then you need to consider your liberty in light of loving your brother or sister in Christ. And here's what this is saying. If you don't, and this is why this is so consequential, if you don't, you may very well cause your brother or sister to stumble, to be grieved, or to suffer spiritual loss or disaster. What does that mean? It means lose spiritual blessing, lose usefulness, fruitfulness, and effectiveness to Christ, lose qualification for a particular purpose, to lose your joy. And if you look over here, back to 1 Corinthians 8, and if you look at verse 7, is that where I want to be? Yeah. 
However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Like Nehemiah, right? Not Old Testament Nehemiah, the Nehemiah and Maya example. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we don't eat it and no better off if we do, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is what? What's your, what's your text say there? Destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. We're only getting through this one point today. But here's what I want you to see back in, in Romans 14. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ. But you are saved from the wrath of God to be a child of God, to live as a soldier of God, to live as the bride of God, to live as a child of God, to walk in obedience to God, because in so doing you find joy. You know, it's such an interesting time. I'm Jewish by upbringing. Jewish people are wonderful legalists. We're not looking to get away with everything we can get away with. We're looking like, God, we actually say Yahweh when we first come to faith. Because you don't say God if you do it. Yah, Yahweh. What, what do I do? What do you want me to do? How, how do you want me to use my time? What should I have for dinner? I know we're not kosher, but I don't know. What can I eat? Shellfish and milk? Is it okay? It's so good. Is it okay? God, God, do, how long do I have to stay at church for? God, how many times a week do I have to? We're, we're legalists. But you Gentiles, you're like the opposite. It's by grace? Oh, yeah. So I don't have to do anything? Uh-uh. Like nothing. No. Like I don't have to give God anything and I'm still saved? Oh. I don't have to go to church. It doesn't affect my salvation? Oh. I don't have to read my Bible. I'm still saved if I don't do anything? Oh, man. Neither one is acting like a saved person. And if you're the Gentile, may I recommend to you my friend James in Scripture. That's who needs James. You're the legalist, friends. Go read you some Paul. Go read you some Galatians, quick. But we all got a little legalist in us, and then we all got a little cheap grace in us. And the gospel, we're living like pendulums. You ever notice that if you came to faith from a legalistic background, you snap over to, to abusing your freedom in Christ like nobody's business. You may not eat or drink or dance or smile or listen to the radio. Then you come to faith and it's like, whoo, internet gone wild. I'm under grace. YouTube got some crazy stuff, right? You ever find that? And then you got the Holy Spirit will work if you're saved and then you'll be swinging back over here and you'll be telling all these people here, you can't look at YouTube. There's bad stuff on YouTube. If you're saved, you wouldn't look at YouTube because you're weak. You're, You're weak in conscience. And then you'll strengthen up over here. And before you know it, you're going like this. Yeah, YouTube. But should I use YouTube? Should I watch an hour of YouTube a day? How is that glorifying God? How is that done with a clear conscience? How would that affect my brother or sister in Christ? Do you see this, friends? 
Here's why this is so consequential. I have a pastor's group I meet with every month, and I'm meeting with them this Wednesday. And honestly, you, you can be praying for me Wednesday. I struggle with this group a lot. <laughs> struggle with a lot of things. Maybe that group struggles with me. I ask in this group, and this week is a follow-up. I asked this group of pastors. I said, do you all have someone in your church who you've seen come to saving faith in the life of your church? who is growing in their relationship with Christ and joy, who has gone out and shared the gospel with other people, and you've seen through God working through them, someone else brought to faith and begin to do the same. So you follow the logic there? Have you seen someone come to faith? I'm talking to pastors here. Someone grow in their love and joy and identity in Christ, who then goes out and makes Christ known as they walk in joyful obedience to Christ, and God has used them to bring someone to faith in Christ. What percentage of those pastors do you think answer that question with a yes? Anyone here think 50%? More or less than 50? 25? 10? You want the answer? That should scare the boots off of you. That should scare the boots off of you. Why? Because do you know what happens to the next generation? Now, I don't ask that to condemn that group. I ask that because my passion is to partner with these men in Christ, to help equip one another, to engage people with the gospel, and be churches that blast the gospel out as the church scatters throughout the week. Now, let me encourage you. Why do we gather on Sunday? Well, first, the Lord does call us to Hebrews 10. But listen to me. You're free to miss in Christ. Do you hear me there? You're free to miss a Sunday in Christ. Take a deep breath. You can miss gathering with your church on a Sunday. It doesn't affect your salvation. In fact, some of you may need to miss a Sunday because you might be showing up for all the wrong reasons. I would fall in that camp. I, if you want to talk about where, and here's a question you all can try to land on your own. Where are you weak in conscience? For me, time management is one of my weaknesses in conscience because I have this passionate desire to use all of my time for the glory of God. But underneath there is this rooting like, John, why do you feel this need to be so intense with your time? And I appreciate brothers in Christ who can say to me, John, it's okay just to chill and relax. You, you, you could go look at birds and trees for an hour and glorify God. And I need people to say that to me. And I need to have a clear conscience to be able to go look at the birds and the trees. But some people are on the other side. And you need to stop looking at the birds and the trees and redeem your time. Do you, do you see that? But my friends, while we're free to miss a Sunday, the question is, why do we want to? Why does God call us together? And here's the thing, he calls us together to equip and encourage one another to do the work he saved us to do, to love one another, and to steward our Christian liberty in front of one another in unity. And here's the beauty. Imagine this. Imagine you have 10 visitors walk into a church on a Sunday. And what do they see? They see a body of believers. And what they should see us doing 
is living holy lives in love for God and love for one another, exercising our Christian liberty to bring about unity in the body. Amen? They, they, they should see a people, one of the things that always blows my mind and one thing I love about our church, y'all never sit in the same pews. Do you know why I love that? Because there's an opportunity to be had in there. I know part of it's because you're messing around with me. But as you move and sit next to different people, you engage with different people. And when people come in to visit the church, if they come for a few weeks and they see everybody move around, what a wonderful example it sets. Not, that's my pew, but this is my family. Amen? Amen. And the way we're equipped, listen to this, to go out and engage the lost, and this is where we'll pick up next week. One of the primary ways, this is right where I'll pick up next week. One of the primary ways we win opportunities to share the gospel with lost people, listen to this closely, is by appropriately exercising our Christian unity in front of them. Benjamin, Nehemiah at Antony's house. What should happen is Benjamin says, Nehemiah, we're out of here. Let me talk to Anthony. And he says, Anthony, Thank you so much for inviting us over for dinner. We, we so appreciate it. And we're, we're really looking forward to getting to know you. But Nehemiah and I, we can't eat that food that was sacrificed to Diana at her temple. We, we, we can't do it with a clear conscience glorifying our God. So we apologize, but we're going to have to leave. And maybe we'll have you over for dinner tomorrow at our house. Now, you know what Anthony may say? Those are some crazy fools. This is good meat. I want nothing to do with them. That's okay. But you know what else Anthony might say? What the heck is the deal with that type of commitment to one another? Because I know Benjamin can eat this stuff. He's been over here before. So, so why the heck is he leaving to go with Nehemiah? And then he can ask Benjamin, what was the deal with that? And Benjamin's just won an opportunity to share the gospel by exhibiting his Christian love. Let's take that Sunday. Someone says, hey, I got tickets to the Eagles game. You want to come? Are you free to go? Roy can go with his new tattoo to the Eagles game next weekend. <laughs> You're free to go. You're totally free to go. And guilt should never hold you back. But I want you to think about this. When you say to your lost friend, yeah, let's go, what does that communicate? But if you say to your lost friend, listen, I would love to go. It's such a great opportunity to, to spend time with you, and, and I'm a big Eagles fan, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to say no in this instance because that's when I gather with my family. That's when I gather with my, my church family to worship our Lord and care for one another. Do you know what that friend is going to say to you? What the heck happened to you, man? Your church family and worship God. But you know what else they might say to you? Why would you pick hanging out with that weird eclectic group as opposed to going to an Eagles game, man? And you know what you get to tell them? You get to tell them about why. Do you know how many opportunities all of us miss through the misexercise of our Christian liberty to live lives that God calls us to and win opportunities to share the gospel? Yes, we need to have the words of the gospel prepared to share so people might be saved. But the lies we live through which we proclaim that gospel are found in Romans 12, Romans 13, 
Romans 14 and Romans 15. I apologize for getting through one point today, but I am immensely desirous as a Jewish kid who never heard the gospel till I was in my 20s to be a part of a growing body of believers, which I am thankful to be a part of, who live their lives as soldiers of God, as brides of Christ, as children of God himself, as he calls us to, holding one another accountable in joyful unity as we exercise our Christian liberty so that God might use us for his glory, so that we might be asked that question, do you have someone in your church who's come to saving faith in Christ, who's been used by God to bring someone else to saving faith in Christ, who's also done the same? And we might say, yes, I do, and I am that person. Let me tell you this. When, I ask, when I'm asked that question at the meeting, I don't say I have zero because we have several. And do you know how odd that is to have several? Do you know how odd it is to have an eclectic group that is multiracial, multiethnic, multigenerational, multi-socioeconomically? This is a crazy group. It's called a body of believers. And my friends, the devil would delight in destroying the work God has done here. Now, there are many people not here today who are not here today for perfectly fine reasons. Don't go like next week coming back and being like, Ricky and Lillian, where were you guys abusing your liberty? No! Listen, there are people out doing God-honoring things today. But I will say that I also know other people have gotten tripped up. And any one of us is easily susceptible to being tripped up. And I myself was tripped up throughout this week in a poor exercise of my identity in Christ, my inheritance in Christ, and the freedom I have in Christ. And here's what I want you to see, and here's what I ask of you, and here's what I hope you will do for me. Romans 12 through 15 is a marvelous, marvelous wake-up call. It is beautiful marching orders. It's a marvelous invitation where God invites us to walk in fullness of life. I am a me, 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 I, I, I person. If you knew what was in the deepest recesses of my heart, you would not want to see me around. I'm not that creepy, I promise you, but I am selfish. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not done working with me and I'm not as selfish as I used to be and I don't like being selfish at all, amen? And I need you and you need me so we might walk selflessly in fellowship, in holiness, and in unity for the glory of God. So can you get a tattoo? Yes. Can you drink alcohol? Yeah. Can you watch a movie with nudity or profanity? You can. Can you skip a Sunday? Yeah. But it's not about can you. It should you. Why are you doing it in the first place? Land it. Clear conscience. Glory of God. And then just when you think you're good to go, verse 13 comes smacking into you. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So listen, somebody's not here on a Sunday. Somebody got a tattoo or someone drinks at lunch. Your job? Don't worry about them as much as you worry about you. Don't you dare condemn someone for exercising their Christian liberty. Do you hear me? Land your liberty well. And as you land your liberty well, having landed your liberty well, never put 
a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother through using your liberty. Never cause a brother or sister to be grieved in the exercise of your liberty. Never allow one to be destroyed because that believer is the work of God. Let's end with that. Do you see that in there? I think it was over. Yeah. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You go down to verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Mm. Imagine walking into an art museum and you see a, a Rembrandt. Would you take a Sharpie and mark all over that thing? Imagine you saw a Picasso. Would you take a knife and cut it in half? Imagine you saw a Michelangelo sculpture. Would you take a sledgehammer and bash it? You know what, my friends? You are God's masterpiece. Chew on that for a minute. Messed up you. Quirky you. You with all the issues. You with a messed up heart. You who fail time and time again. You, through Romans 1.11, are God's masterpiece. You got self-esteem issues? You think Mona Lisa sits in the loo going, I feel as an inferior piece of art. No, the Mona Lisa, she's all, I'm the Mona Lisa. You're a child of God. God's masterpiece. Now turn your head and look around. You see those other masterpieces? Here's the point. Don't go putting a Sharpie on the masterpiece. Don't go cutting up the masterpiece. Don't hit a masterpiece with a sledgehammer. Praise the master who made the piece because you are a piece of the masters. Amen? Christian liberty. One point down, two to go. We are going to take communion today. And as we take communion, I thought it was a perfect day to do it. Because through that table, through that work of Christ, we are free. Galatians 5, 1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. We are free from death and its ultimate power. We are free from Satan and his ultimate persuasion. Amen? We are free from the wrath of God. We are free from having to earn the righteousness of God. It has been earned for us through Christ. But we are not free from everything. We are free to things. We are free to love God. We are free to love one another. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The two songs we started with this morning, I am free and I am a friend of God. For freedom, Christ has set you free to be a friend of God. And God calls us as his friends and as his children and as his bride and as his soldiers to live as he calls us to. And in so doing, what we find is joy beyond measure. This table is the gate by which we enter into eternal life. Not, not the table itself, but what the table represents. A gate that we could never get through. A chasm that we could never jump to come before a God who we could never approach. Marvel at that. I was, I was reading Daniel, and, and as Daniel came into to the, the, the heavenly host encounter. He, he couldn't even stand there. Can you imagine what it would be like to come before God himself 
Yet through Christ, we have access to God himself. In fact, God dwells in us. And he dwells in us whom he has made free, so we are free to live as loving him and loving one another. How much does Jesus love you? So much that he was willing to lay down his life for you. He lived the perfect life we couldn't. He died the death we deserve. He gives us eternal life. And what does he call us to? To love him as he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, as I look at the clock, and I was quite convinced I had a very short sermon today. Apparently had more words in there than I thought. I pray, Lord, that whatever words were from you and for your glory would be deeply implanted in all of our hearts and whatever came from me would be quickly forgotten. Lord, we, we thank you. And that's such an insignificant word, but we thank you for saving us. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the fact that, that you made what was unlovely lovely. And Lord, we pray that we would not be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We pray, Lord, that by your power, we would daily climb back up on that altar of Romans 12.1. We pray, Lord, that we might truly love one another as you loved us, Christ Jesus, that we would be a people who flee from sin and fight for purity and seek unity in the gospel as we exercise our Christian liberty. And Lord, I pray that as we steward that liberty, our eye would be constantly upon you being daily reminded of the gospel. This good news of great joy that God himself saves people from himself, by himself, and for himself to live with God himself. Lord, strengthen us in that truth today as we come to your table. Encourage us in that truth as we come before your table. Convict us of that truth as we come to your table. Lord Jesus, help us to marvel and rejoice and walk in the fullness of what it means to be free in Christ. Jesus, in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. If you are a Romans 1.11 person, if you recognize that on your own you cannot be right with God, but through Christ you've been made fully right with God. If you've trusted in Christ, I invite you to come forward. Come down the center aisle, out on the outside. Take communion, take the elements at your own leisure. We'll close with a benediction. And we'll go downstairs, have some coffee and food. Then we'll talk about the gospel after a little bit. I invite you to come forward.